going to be talking um, uh, today about Bible discipline. Pastor David said, oh, you're following on from the theme from yesterday. Uh, um, I wish it was as light as that. I, I probably want to speak about maybe things that sometimes go a bit more wrong than that, um, although things can sometimes go badly wrong with children. But um, we uh, we love our assembly and we love the, the salvation message that we have. Um, but as we know, it uh, it doesn't end up working for everybody because um, of one reason or other, and not because God's plan is not perfect, but because uh, of our own attitudes in life, and uh, sometimes we resist good guidance uh, and and all the the great things that God puts in front of us, and so there are times where people leave the fellowship for maybe forever, um, and there are those who um, leave for a while or maybe even are asked to leave for a while and we hope uh, will find their way back. Um, so I just wanted to perhaps look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to, to look at a, a Bible example or two uh, on this subject. I might just add uh, that maybe the... the scenario in many churches today is that um, this topic is maybe not dealt with very much at all, um, that um, a lot is, you know, people make room for bad behavior rather than to correct it. And so what we hear often, uh, and some of you may have experienced it, where um, people in a happily go to a church where they can live together, it used to be called living in sin, um, as partners and not being married, um, that uh, that is not frowned upon or taught against, that there are people who are um, uh, perhaps of the, the gay persuasion and that is not um, taught against but rather made room for and often even now in, in some cases promoted uh, in positions of leadership. Um, and um, things like drinking, smoking, um, etc., addictions that people might have, maybe there might be some counselling suggested, but whether a person is uh, allowed to continue in their meetings or not maybe is not so much in question. Um and, uh, you know, the list goes on, I guess. That, uh, I suppose I'm just saying that often people make room. Now, we've got a church here in Corinth which has been given to us as um, everything that can go wrong in a church. That's the story of Corinth. And chapter after chapter we find out uh, how they just got it all wrong. And it's sort of, it's a real um, insight to us to see how that uh, things can go wrong, but also how things can be repaired. That we don't have to think, you know, everything's lost because it's gone down the wrong path. And here um, is just one part of that in this particular chapter I want to read, uh, that of the many things that actually went wrong. So they, as we know, they one of the things we often focus on is that they had the gifts very much out of order, the voice gifts, but they also were quite partial 
to one preacher over another. Um, and, um, which, uh, you know, sometimes happens here. I mean, Ed, Eddie Branson told me today he was very happy to be on Bible class because I was preaching. So, uh, I, I know where I stand with Eddie. Um, and, um, but, you know, they they were sort of setting one against another as far as the preachers were concerned. And, and there's, there's numerous things that are mentioned that the, their, their disregard for communion, um, was, uh, was so shabby that Paul had a, a real go at them, and so one thing after another. But this is just one part of it. So in, in verse 1, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So it had become known uh, in the district, uh, who knows how far, but Paul um, decides he's going to highlight this topic about this event. And um, he's saying, unfortunately, this is even maybe worse than what a lot of people in the world are doing. And in verse 2, and he says, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned and he, that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now, this term he uses here, puffed up, he actually uses a few times through the chapter. In fact, in the previous chapter, in chapter 4, we might just go back there into verse 18 for a moment. Uh, now, some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will you? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, or in the spirit of meekness? Now, there was an arrogance that was in this church this puffed up word, there's a pride where, and, and you, you try to think what that could have been, you know, that here this immorality that has happened that has embarrassed Paul, but it hasn't for some reason embarrassed the church. And you sort of think of maybe scriptures like in, uh, I think it's Romans 5 or 6 that says, uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He asks this question uh, that, that if people sin, we can say, oh, well, the grace of God will cover that. And, of course, he said, no, we don't want to continue in sin. Is that the approach that was taken in this church, is that God forgives everything, it's okay. And somehow, whatever it was that caused them to be puffed up and to be arrogant, he said, you have totally gone the wrong way. This is something to be embarrassed about. And so in verse 3, he says, For I verily as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done, has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So, he makes his decision here and he says um, this phrase, to deliver such a one unto Satan. Now the Bible says that Satan or the devil is the prince of this world. So he's basically putting him from the safety of the church and saying you're now on your own, you're out there. And so what we call putting out a fellowship, that was uh, his decision in the matter. Now. I suppose there's two important reasons why this is done and we can see one of them is that he wants to keep the church safe and strong. 
because uh, somehow or other it had actually got into the hearts of the people and was doing them damage, not just the the individuals involved in the act, but it actually messed with their thinking. And so he wanted it clear where God stood on this to keep the church safe and strong. But the other thing, of course, was that the person who had done the wrong might not only uh, face a penalty, but that they might learn and be saved. Because that's what he says in in verse 5. He says that the spirit might be saved. In other words, we're hopeful that they will not be destroyed by this event. And because this is a, a brother in the Lord. We don't want to see him destroyed by this. We we are hopeful that he can wake up to to what has actually happened and the uh, the uh, the the bad thing it had done for him. Now, I suppose that um, when it came to Paul's knowledge, he wasn't in Corinth. This was sent to him, um, uh, I think, by a sister uh, in chapter one. It talks about who wrote to him about all the things that she was bothered about in the church. And he, um, he'd obviously trusted the things that were said to him and he wrote. And, um, and so when he had this information given to him, it wouldn't have been a good read. You know, when he was told of this man and what he had done and it was sort of there in writing, it's, it's never a good read. I mean, sin in itself is not. And, and I guess, uh, even our own Weaknesses are not a good read if we write them down. And so this is not a good read here. Um, but nevertheless, he didn't let it stop him. He felt this can be dealt with. And of course, there was a price to pay. And sometimes when things go really wrong, there can be even a, a price to pay, um, by the laws of our land. Where, where somebody might find they're up against the law of the land because of things that they have done. And so I suppose just looking at this scenario, which you can imagine it must have just caused such turmoil in this group of people as Paul decided to come in with a reasoning that was very different. And you then start to wonder about people's responses and um, and not just in the church, but outside of the church, people who knew and were sort of watching on. Of course, in the world, we know that there are various responses uh, to this sort of thing. Some would say, when they heard the story, put him in jail, lock him up, throw away the key. That would be the attitude um, by some who perhaps um, can get pretty aggressive. Others might say rehabilitate them in some way by counselling or let them have courses in jail or whatever. Let's find a way to rehabilitate them. Um, And others, as I was mentioning before, um, perhaps would be happy for laws that allow this and other immoralities, the other extreme, you know, that even in society there are people in these various extremes um, so that might be the various responses of the world, but that's not, in a sense, our concern. People will vote one way or another. But then there's the response of the church, and uh, we see that Paul here has said that this person needs to be put out. And he's uh, he's fairly clear about this not just being on his part, but on everybody's part. 
And if we read down in verse 9, he goes on a little further on the topic. He says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. So we're surrounded by trouble, and maybe we didn't all grow up surrounded by as much trouble as Johnny Vandergeesen, but um, but we've all been surrounded by some trouble. And um, so you... And, and he's saying here, well, you, you can't avoid all of that. We're going to witness to people. We want to see people's lives change for the better. So don't, don't keep away from everybody because of, of their behavior. But in verse 11, and we're, we're glad, of course, that people didn't keep away from us because of our behavior. All the people said. Uh, and in verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company of any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. So fornicator is a big subject of the whole area of immoralities. Um, covetous, uh, I don't know how far we, we go into that one, but there is obviously a level of, of uh, envy and greed desire for the things of the world that uh, can really captivate some people more than it should. Uh, idolatry is probably a little different in our society to, um, you know, worshipping statues, although um, there are a few religions in our country that uh, that do it, although they deny the fact that they do it. So perhaps there's a religious aspect to this, uh, uh, but also the idolatry that people might have of uh, of other um uh superstars of this world or or whatever the uh um the things that we might emulate a railer is somebody who uh just is uh, someone who is constantly running people down um running a lot of things down perhaps and uh someone you don't really want to be in their company a heck of a lot a drunkard is pretty self explanatory extortioner um the way that people can mess with money, you usually end up in jail if you play with that game. And it says, with, with such a one, no, not to eat. Now, if it, you can sort of think, well, why would a brother or sister in the Lord be engaged in this? But it can happen, as we're just reading in this story. And, and Paul's saying, when a person does behave in this behavior and they, they stay on that path, he says, there's a line have nothing to do with them anymore because there needs to be an understanding on their part that they are no longer in communion with God while they behave like that. And it's not that that they might not repair, as I'm saying, but that they might feel so much cut off that they feel the hurt. A bit like, I don't know, people still do it with children, but your children's child is naughty and you stand them in the corner. I don't know if that sounds draconian these days but we used to do it and uh and they would want to come out of that corner and it was a good place for them to be or in their bedroom they would eventually want to come out of it and and be happy with everybody in the house and so here in a sense the lord is saying they're standing in the corner they're in their own bedroom and it, it sounds like treating somebody as a child, but it's really just paying a penalty. You you cannot have the fellowship and have that lifestyle. Those two things 
are, are not going to blend together. And it needs to be not just that, you know, the Apostle Paul was saying that, but the whole of the Corinthian church was saying that. Because if half of the Corinthian church said, no, we think that we should look after him and we're going to have him around for dinner and we're going to encourage him while, yeah, you've chosen your way to do it, we're choosing our way to do it. That was never going to work because it would divide people within the church. But the idea was that all would back this idea and and then it would have an effect and then the person would would be going, why is nobody talking to me? And they might go, well, that revival fellowship, you know, they might, but it is right. I mean, society does it in its own way. They might criticise us for doing it, but if they send somebody to jail, they say, we're not talking to you. You do not move freely in our society anymore. So they know how to do it. And we do it, but we do it perhaps a little earlier in in some cases than they do because they've sort of knocked down the wall, the boundaries of what's right and wrong and allow people to get away with more. And in verse 12, For what have I to do uh, to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. But them that are without God judges. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So the response of the church was that all might follow what God had desired to happen. Um, then we have the response of the, in, the individual. Now, a lot hinges on this. Um, let's go to Psalm 51. Now, King David, who's one of the heroes of the Bible and one of God's heroes, did something so bad that he should have been stoned to death under the Old Testament law or even today, locked up in the key thrown, thrown away. He did something so terrible. And you think, so how on earth did God forgive him when that's the sort of behaviour that happened? And you can read the story. It's not a good read. Um, you can find how he took another man's wife and made sure that that man was killed. You can, you can read of how he kept that silent for a while. And uh, like I say, it's not a good read. But then we read this psalm of how when he was exposed for what he did, he immediately owned up to it. And um, th- this is the stuff that God loves. And no matter how big or small the thing that we have done, um, that we will own up to it. Immediately is great. Eventually is also good. If we never do, then we're really in trouble. And in verse 1, we'll just read some of this. Um, um, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Now, this is this is the king. He's, he's in charge of everything. But he has to fall before um, his king. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I can't forget it. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now this is the faith and understanding of David and God's principles. A day, you know, before he might have advised others of this, but today he is advising himself of the things that he has known. In verse 8, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice, because his joy and gladness was gone. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We have a chorus along these lines, and we know that here he just felt tarnished. He felt like he just wanted his his heart to be put through the washing machine and his mind and not to remember the things that he had done. And in verse 11, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, when we sing the chorus that has these words in it, um, it seems a bit wrong for us to be singing such a thing. But if we don't repent of something that goes very wrong in our life, the Holy Spirit will be taken from us. That is the That is the end of it all. And so... Here he's understanding that I mean, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit in him, but he knew the presence of the Holy Spirit affecting his thinking and benefiting him. And in verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. I just want to jump for joy again. I feel as heavy as lead. And everywhere I look and think, it just takes me back to where I was and I don't want to be there anymore. What can I do to be free of that? And uh, and then he says in verse 13, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted to thee. I, I will be able to talk about it and say, This is where I went wrong, and I'm so sorry that I did it, but God lifted me out of it. And and I'd like to tell you, you know, in, and, and help you to find your way out of this uh, tremendous problem that you may have. Um, verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. So a very personal, private prayer that he has actually taken the time later on to write down. And we gain the benefit of it. So is this repentance? You know, sometimes people say, how do you know if there's repentance? This looks pretty good, and I guess it would have shown in his actions as he went on from there. Let's go back to Second Corinthians chapter 2. Now, David paid a heavy price um, for his actions. Um, um, one of them, first of all, was just that he, um, he lost the child that was born to uh, the woman that he was immoral with, and... Um, <clears throat> That's not the, that's the Old Testament punishments are often incredibly literal, um, and 
painful. The New Testament ones are, are often more things of the heart and the mind. And um, so here this man was put out of fellowship that we're talking about. And we it's it's quite likely that he's the guy that is spoken of in, in 2 Corinthians, if not, somebody in very similar circumstances. And the two letters apparently are written maybe some 18 months apart. And uh, so, so the guy's been wearing the results of his actions for, for this length of time. And we'll just read here in chapter 2, verse 1. But it, I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness, as he writes to the church. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? You know, I'm, I'm going to be happy if you're happy. In verse 3, and I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. So Paul is, is wanting to move forward with everybody, not just on his own. As, as he took them all into the experience of we've got to deal with this, he now is trying to take them all into the release of it. And in verse 4, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment or this penalty which was inflicted of men. He said it's enough. And whatever he has heard, about this man, he he is now making another judgment on the matter. In verse 7, so that contrariwise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Now this is a turn of events. And it's um, this whole principle of now that if there has been repentance, if there has been learning, that the church is a place where people are mended. It's not a place where, where people sit in judgment against an action forever, um, but rather to, to see how something can be repaired. And in verse 8, Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also I did write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also, for if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for the sake, your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So he's, um, he's looking here at can this man now be supported? And uh, maybe that's you know a question we ask ourselves, at what point when when something has been so bad, can we give support? And so he was sort of trying to highlight here that the time had come from what he knew of this man uh, that maybe things could turn around. Now, if we also go to Luke 15, and we've got a well-known story there, and this is the story of the prodigal son, the wasteful son who... Um, really made quite a mess of things. We read of him in verse 11. Uh, Jesus is telling a, uh, a parable. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And and he, and he gets down into the pit of despair, really. And it's a, a, a very sad tale. But in verse 17, it says, He comes to himself, he wakes up to himself and said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now this so much sounds like Psalm 51, that here here we've got somebody that's saying, I just want to, what can I do to get it right? I've got a surrender flag up, it's a white flag. I've got no buts. I've got no excuses. I've got nothing that I want to in any way justify what I've done. I'm just, I, I finally, it's got through to me. I couldn't see what you were saying before, but now it's finally got through to me. And, um, and in verse 20, um, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now, this doesn't happen real often. But it does sometimes happen. And we praise the Lord for, um, for the many ways that we, we are disciplined and repent. You know, there are the moments in your own conscience where you know that just some, something you thought, something you did, and nobody else knew but you and God, and you, and you go, Phew, I got, I got the message, God. I got the message. And, and we straighten it out just between us and Him. There might be other times where where we fall out with other people, either in the Lord or in the world, and maybe we do something that we sort of think that wasn't the smartest thing. You know, you you you, you get steamed up about something. I remember a silly little event I had one time um, with a next door neighbour, and um, been witnessing to her over a period of time, and and I had some rubbish to put out the front in front of our house but I, there was various bins and the people were coming and I I put the bin I, sorry I put this bit of I think it was carpet Kathy remembers I put it on the other side of the stovey pole that actually you know the boundary line it was that side and the lady's got a high fence and she couldn't see but within 10 minutes she was around my house knocking on my door about my rubbish being on her footpath and um and she went off, you know, swearing and carrying on and said, it's okay, I'll, I will move it. Anyway, um, I went straight away and I moved and I found another spot to put it. It wasn't all that convenient. But it had got under my skin. And I went round and I knocked on her door because I wanted to straighten it out with her. And uh, and I knocked and she didn't answer and I knocked again. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be pressing a point, but I knocked again and eventually she came to the door and, and I wanted to explain myself to her 
but uh, I mean, she could have been to the police about the neighbour that's harassing her and etc. etc. And um, and I said my piece to her, but it made no difference. She was she was on the march with her behaviour, and and I thought I don't think I should have done that. I think I should have just left that well alone. And now I've got to work harder again to try and find a bit of peace with her. And we have our our little moments, I'm sure, maybe you don't, but I do, <laughs> where something rises up in us sometimes and, and we, we do something, we think, oh, I could have done that a bit better. And, and, and so here, this man has done something really serious. And, uh, but finally he's come to that point where he's gone, I've got to get this right. I need to straighten it out. And I just want to perhaps finish off a little bit with the story about the elder brother. The time's moving on. Um, in verse 25, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed him, uh, killed for him the fatted calf, and he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Um, I think what I was going to say a moment before was that we have got people in our fellowship who have gone and come back, and we have rejoiced like the Father and said, Welcome back. We are so thrilled to have you back. No conditions, you know, that um, it's all is good because because you've cleared the deck with God, you've cleared the deck with whoever you needed to clear it with, because sometimes there's damage has been done to people. And um, and here, the elder son, the older brother, is sort of saying, no, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I know what he did. I've, I've heard all about it. I know the story. And, and, and to sort of now give him the, the red carpet treatment doesn't fit at all. It's wrong. And, uh, and the father comes to him and appeals to him to hear. And, uh, there are, there, there can be dangerous moments where we can get involved in something more than we ought to. And just a couple of scriptures to finish on. Proverbs chapter 18. And in verse 17. He that is first in his own cause seems just, but his neighbor comes and searches him or examines him. Um, I think the Amplified says, He who states his case first seems right until his rival comes and cross-examines him. Have you ever been in the position where somebody has come up to you and said, uh, Oh, you wouldn't believe what that brother or sister did to me, or my father or my mother, or and uh, and they tell you the story, and you go, You're kidding. Surely somebody wouldn't treat you like that. And you believe them, and you side with them. That's what this is talking about. And sometimes you go and find out or you hear some news from the other side of the story and you go, was that the same story as that? 
and you start to wonder then about how you've taken sides with a person in their issue. And the Lord's telling us here, look out. Don't get involved. You know, the best answer for somebody who's in trouble is not to get involved with their problem, but to say, go and have some prayer about it. Not to take sides with it, not to keep talking about it, not to pass it on to anybody else. Those are the things that don't help. And it creates, it can create a little lobby group of people who've got a view on somebody that is half a story or a quarter of a story or a fraction of a story. And, uh, gossip can get popular sometimes. Human nature, you know, and we might think it's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. But it might just be a little bit of information that maybe we shouldn't be listening to and we shouldn't be entertaining. Um, our best thing, leave it to the person concerned and God. And if they need to go to the oversight, let them go to the oversight. But don't involve yourself. It's a, it's a dangerous place to get. Um, and Galatians chapter 6, the last scripture I just want to go to. And verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And uh, the word here um, for restore, I understand, and I should have checked this with uh, the Greek uh, lexicon over here, <laughs> um, but I understand it's to, to mend like mending a fishing net. And um, so... Not the modern theory of let's throw away the fishing net and go buy a new one. This is mending. Going back and saying, this is my most favorite fishing net. I want to mend this and I will painstakingly make sure that it gets mended. Um, when Kathy's mum was alive, she used to knit socks for me and others and, uh, they are particularly good socks. And they are worth mending because I can't get them from anywhere else. There's some things which are worth mending. And, and so here the Lord is saying, if somebody really has been repentant, it doesn't, it's not saying that here, but that's what we've been reading generally. If they really are repentant, if they've paid the price, if they've learnt their lesson, can we find a way to restore them and to help them uh, in a way that they might find their salvation? that they might again be happy in the Lord. And and that testimony can go out to others in the world. You know, we had one sister come along a, a while back in another fellowship and um, her mother had actually done the wrong thing. Uh, sorry, her father uh, had done the wrong thing. And um, and when she saw how the church handled it, and, and it had to be handled pretty solidly, um, and and the daughter wasn't in the Lord, but when she saw how it was handled and her boyfriend said to her, you know, that's lousy the way they're doing that in that church. And she said, I actually think it's really good. And she said, Got, get lost to the boyfriend. She came to the Lord. While she's seeing discipline, good, healthy discipline. And, and that has, you know, she has stayed in the Lord, having been brought by such an example. You know, we have a, we have a, a haven a safe haven, and it takes work to keep it that way. It takes unity to keep it that way. It, it takes um, maybe sometimes you've just, you know, we pray that you'll pray for your oversight and that you'll trust how that they receive your information if you have to give it. 
and uh, you'll leave it with them so that they can work through what has to be worked through and that uh, uh, that we will find our way through some of these difficult circumstances and hopefully we don't have too many of them (laughs) Um, but they are there and we've got to deal with it and uh, we want to deal with it the way God says. All the people said, Amen. Amen. 